welcome, welcome. Once again, we've got another independent B-movie actor, writer, and producer. We've got Harish Randall on the show. Welcome, sir. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Cameron. Anytime. His credits include Slaughterhouse, Chillerama, Circus of the Living Dead. It's more recently fun in a madman's world and the upcoming Cowboys from Hell. How did you, good sir, just decide you were a big movie buff and you were going to make that your life? Well, actually, uh, you know, when I was uh, about five years old, I, uh, I, I got hooked on what was then the old Late Late Shows. That was back when they actually showed classic movies. Okay. Schindler's uh, Theater, you know, Elvira. You know, I mean, we're talking back when they showed uh, what Turner Classic Movies shows today. They used to have every, you know, town had their own independent stations, and, and they would play these old movies. And as a kid, I found that, wow, these movies would take me away on adventures and to places that I could never imagine going on. And I was... I don't know, fascinated. Now, I, it was my first realization of what 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 was and still is escapism through film. Uh, and I knew it was magical. And I, I knew then I wanted to do it. Uh, and uh, gosh, probably by the time I was 11 or 12, uh, for one of my birthdays, I, I wrangled uh, out of my parents, God bless them, uh, a super eight millimeter sound projector. And at that time, uh, those were the pre VHS days. I mean, mm -hmm. VHS was not heard of yet. Betamax hadn't been heard of, but you could order movies on the actual super eight millimeter sound reels, uh, you know, from New York, LA. And, uh, you could order actual, you know, movies like Night of the Living Dead and such. They'd come on five, six, seven reels and you'd change the reels out, you know. Uh, yep. And you could have movies at home. And I, once I got that projector, I, you know, I was able to order these films and really start to study films frame by frame if I wanted to. And uh, I, again, that only, you know, enhanced, you know, that, really, really de deep desire to to want to tell stories through film. And uh, so, you know, upgraded to, to, to Betamax and then VHS and so on. But bottom line, that desire to make films never went away. And then uh, I met uh, my mentor, great guy. He's 86 now. And uh, but many years ago, back in about 97, I met Jodon Baker. Uh, or was introduced to him. My dad knew him. My dad had gone to high school with him. And uh, nice. while everybody else up to that point, when I would express aspirations of wanting to get into film, everybody else would say, you know, oh, get a grip. You're not in Hollywood. You know, you're not in Hollywood. What are you thinking? And uh, Joe Don was the first guy who said, once I kind of, you know, describe for him this desire and passion I had for film uh, and to get into film, he was the first one who said, uh, go for it. You can do it. And, and you know, 
he not only encouraged me, but and still does. Uh, he <laughs> he came and uh, supported me at every premiere. Uh, from the Quick and the Undead, the Flesh Keeper, Circus of the Dead, on. I mean, you know, he's been a tremendous force, you know, as far as giving me the confidence and courage and uh, enabling me to believe that I could do it. And now, 20 years later, you know, I'm still doing it. Uh, I make movies. This is what I do. It's my livelihood. It's my life. And it's my passion. And... Uh, I'm thankful, thankful, very thankful for his encouragement and, and for, you know, the universe allowing me to do all this. Great. And so what would you say keeps you going? Like what made you just say, hey, I'm going to get up every day, write, produce, direct something? Well, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my uh, I guess you'd say, you know, my primary passion is acting. Now, the first few films I did, and prior to any principal roles, I put in my time. I took the classes. Jodan steered me towards the appropriate classes. You learn your craft. Simultaneous to learning that craft, I was doing the, the you know, extra gigs and bit parts and one-liners on various, uh, let's, you know, that was, I'm going to, kind of clarify that was between the years of say 2000 and 2004. <clears throat> I was doing uh, extra gigs on shows like Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, gosh, LAX with Heather Locklear and Blair Underwood, uh, nice. different episodic programs. And it was cool because I was able to put together, you know, by being on those, you know, TV series film sets, I was actually able to see the technical aspects of what is filmmaking, you know, and put that together with what I was learning in the acting classes. I think it's really essential as an actor to, to understand both your craft and to understand as well what's going on behind those, those cameras, okay, or that camera. Uh, if you understand, you know, what the DP is doing. If you understand, again, what the lighting department's doing, what the sound people are doing. And obviously you, you have to, as an actor, understand you're taking your direction from the director, okay? Uh, then as an actor, you can better do your job, which is essential if you want to keep working, you know? Uh, learn your craft, prepare for a character when you finally do land a principal role, and if you keep on keeping on, you will, you will, you know, I tell people, don't give up, you know, uh, I give up. I landed the lead role in, or the lead bad guy role, uh, in the quick and the undead. <laughs> it was a zombie film shot out in, uh, Los Angeles. And I played Blythe Remington. And, uh, again, uh, you know, I read the script and it was a uh, crazy over the top sort of a take on or not really a parody, but a, a take on the zombie theme blended in with the old spaghetti Western films. Okay. As far as it's, you know, the story it told and the settings, et cetera. And uh, 
so I auditioned for the part and had a couple of callbacks and I got the lead bad guy, Blythe. And uh, that was when all those acting classes and all that, you know, time I'd spent on sets doing extra work. Well, you know, it, uh, it definitely came in handy, that knowledge, you know. Uh, and that film then was picked up by Anchor Bay Entertainment and they premiered it at Mann's or at that time it was, the theater was Mann's. Uh, I think it's now TLC and I, well, actually I think that, yeah, it's gone through several hands, but it's where the footprints are in the, you know, the courtyard of all the great actors that I grew up watching as a kid, like Humphrey Bogart and Jimmy Stewart. So ultimately, you know, here's this film that I did that I'm in premiering at this famous theater on Hollywood Boulevard. And I told my wife that night, if nothing else ever happened good to me beyond that point, I told my wife that night, you know, listen, the gods have smiled on me. Uh, because again, you know, I was that kid, that five-year-old that just loved movies and recognized they were magic and wanted to be a part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, it fueled the fire. I thought, wow, this happened. I'm in this movie. And uh, so you actively then go out and you promote that movie and you meet other filmmakers and uh, you do the conventions, you attend the various premieres and screenings, et cetera, open them up, talk to the audience. And uh, this, at least for me, it led to suddenly being offered additional roles that I didn't have to audition for. And uh, nice. it was just absolutely for me a, uh, well, something that I, I felt it a blessing then and a blessing now. Um, at that time, in addition to doing film, I was working a full-time job. I was over three hospitals. I worked for LifePoint Healthcare, corporate healthcare, uh, as a uh, business office director. And uh, by 2007 or eight, I was able to leave that job and make filmmaking my full-time gig. And it's been my full-time gig ever since. Nice. So, you know, I say to any kid out there, you know, who's, whether you be that five-year-old and you're on the couch watching, you know, whatever it is that inspires you, whether you be that 25 or 35-year-old who wants to get into film, don't let people tell you that it's impossible. Don't, don't let them tell you you cannot do it because you can. It's a matter of how hard you want to work. Okay, and never give up. Essentially. And so how do you just vent the negativity in the room when you're inevitably gonna get this, especially when you're starring in, you know, more low budget, you know, B pictures? Well, you know, I always looked at it like and again I was very lucky. I go back and I you know, talk I have to you know, refer back to Joe Don. You know, he played Buford Pussard Walking Tall and Joe Don, Mitch Baker, Miller, baby. Yeah. yeah. Uh as he put it, before I ever did the first principal role, we had talks about that. I asked him, I said, how did, how did you or how do you deal with, you know, bad reviews or someone saying something negative about you, et cetera? And he, he had this great answer, and it's one I passed on to a lot of people who ask of me that question. Uh, 
not everybody is going to like you in a film, but you have to understand that once you become an actor, once you become a producer, a writer, a director of a film, you become a product for public consumption. You're, you're no more than that can of Coca-Cola or that can of Pepsi or that brand of beer or whatever. People spend their money to enjoy, hopefully, a product, a film product or any other kind of product. Some people will like the product. Some people will not. You can't internalize it and take it personally if someone, you know, doesn't necessarily like you, okay, or doesn't appreciate a specific kind of role that you play in a film. Mm-hmm. You, you have to respect the fact that they're entitled to that opinion. They are paying consumers of a product. And you certainly, you hope to please everybody. And you want desperately to make everyone happy. You want your performances to always be performances that people you know, will enjoy. But logically, you do know going into film that there's always going to be people who perhaps may not enjoy certain films that you do. Mm -hmm. And I say take it as constructive criticism when you can, okay? But don't let it destroy you, discourage you. Don't internalize it. That's the worst thing you can do. Totally. And uh, so what what are your main inspirations for writing a script? Like, How do you just sit down and just craft it together? Excuse me, I was taking a drink. My... uh, my actual inspirations for writing a script, I don't know. They come, they come to me literally just something pops into my head. It's usually a, a kind of a basic story. I, I say I want to tell a story about this, but I realize, okay, I've got, to, I've got to build around the main key plot point an entire storyline that leads up to whatever it is. You know, whether it's a haunted house story, supernatural, whether it's a slasher film, why is the killer doing it? The other characters, you've got to flesh out the story. And uh, a lot of times inspiration may come from uh, you watch an old 1945 classic on Turner Classic Movies and you say, you know, that's a great movie and it's inspired me to not rip off that movie or make the same movie or try to remake the movie, but maybe a variation on a theme. You know, but inspiration can come from anywhere, you know, uh, a dream. It can come from quite literally a billboard you see driving down the interstate uh, or freeway. And you then commit yourself to sitting in front of your, you know, laptop keyboard or your desktop or whatever. And you you type away and and, and you know, going into it, that you're going to go through a first draft, a second draft, a third draft and, you know. A lot of people have actually, you know, completed screenplays that yielded films that were hits in two weeks. Then some people, hell, they may take two years, you know. Uh, But writing a screenplay is about seeing in your head the movie you want to tell. And as you start to tap away and create the screenplay, you begin to recognize, okay, there's a plot hole there. I've got to fill it in. 
So you have to be creative and, and figure out what fits into the storyline to actually fill this plot hole. What leads a character to do whatever he or she does? You may fill that in. And uh, I'm a big believer in characters, whether it's slasher films, which I love, <clears throat> or whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter the type of genre or subgenre. But I'm a firm believer in the fact that it doesn't take long in a film to actually give your character a basic reason for being and a basic backstory so that the audience can understand who they are, where they've been, why they are where they're at. And the audience then will, will care a little bit more about these characters that they're following through, let's say, you know, a slasher film where they're going to be dispatched one by one, you know, pretty quickly. It was Hitchcock who once said that, you know, during his lifetime, after he made Psycho, uh, there were a lot of other films that came out that, you know, tried to kind of copy the slash and hack, even way back in the 60s, uh, sort of the slash and hack uh, theme that he created with Psycho. He said the only difference is, he said in those films, people were killing people that, that they hadn't even been properly introduced to. <laughs> so, you know, he felt that in order for an audience to really truly get the full impact of what what is a horror film, a suspense thriller where people are getting killed, you know, by an unseen killer or an unseen force, you have to first care about the characters. And as a writer, that's something you have to, at least in my opinion, I think you, you need to think about. A lot, of, uh, film, a lot of filmmakers, you know, because we do live in an era where it's about getting to the action as quickly as possible, okay? Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many reviews I've read on other films, whether I agree or not. You know, it's beside the point, but a lot of uh, a lot of followers of independent films will say, "Oh, this was slow. This was, you know, took too long to get to the hacking, the slashing." The yeah, you, know, you can actually develop and actually clarify and lay down the backstory of a character just through dialogue in a matter of five minutes. You know, opening a film. Uh, the audience, audiences today are very sophisticated. They're intelligent. It doesn't take wasting a lot of time creating the characters in a way so that the audience cares about them. Because when the audience cares about them, they're going to root more for them against whatever adversity in the film that they face. So anyway, that's, yeah. That's kind of my thing with screenwriting. Mm-hmm. How do you uh, vent and, you know, uh, determine, you know, the serious filmmakers from basically amateur hour ones who aren't going to pay anyone, aren't going to... Well, I'll know, be honest, you know, that, that's, it's ironic. I was just on the phone with a, uh, an actress friend of mine earlier this afternoon, uh, this afternoon, and uh, it's as I told her, in the beginning, when you're starting out, you do get burnt from time to time. Uh, as you continue onward, 
because you never give up. No matter how many times you're disappointed or you get knocked down, you pick yourself up, you dust your, your knees off and uh, you keep you keep on keeping on, okay? Move forward. Yep. Uh, but you reach a point where you realize, okay, you've got to, especially as an actor, you, you've got to cover yourself. You've got to, first of all, when you get the script, you read the script. Then you find out, obviously, the film group behind it and check them out. You know, what else have they done? Are they reputable? Uh, question the director. What has he done or she done? Uh, you definitely want to make sure that they have a budget. And one of the things that you may not be able to do this initially when you're starting out, but after you, if you know, after you've done a few films, you ask for a holding fee, okay? It, a signing fee. When you, first of all, you want the contract. The contract has to be legal and binding. It goes through my attorneys, uh, and you know it details my day rate, lodgings, etc. Uh, airfare, they're going to cover it. They fly me out to do the films and do the films. Uh, and that holding fee is basically, uh, you know, they're in advance of, in advance of production from the point at which, or literally that holding fee has to be in my pocket when I sign the contract. Okay. Now, what that does is, as an actor, for an actor, that covers the actor. If that production falls apart, that holding fee is yours. You keep it. They don't get it back. Uh, that's standard operating procedure, and there's a lot of actors who, who ask for that uh, because there's so many projects and you learn early on, people talk to you about that never actually, you know, come to fruition, okay? And you may you may spend a lot of time as an actor going over the screenplay, developing a character, et cetera, and so on. That's what you do if, you, if you're a method actor, for sure, I have to. Uh, or I can't really, can't really work any other way. And so you go through all that and then a project just suddenly goes away and oftentimes the people behind them you know, go away. They disappear too. Uh, and you've been left then with this time that you spent developing and working on a character. And uh, it's kind of like at that point you deal with the disappointment and you deal with the loss of your time that you could have been doing something else and potentially get, you know, hopefully getting paid for. It. So the holding fee covers you, you know, for that. Uh, and as well, it does let you know that they, they being a, a film group, they're more serious about moving forward with their, their project. If they're willing to, you know, send you that check that clears the bank, you know, for your holding fee, then, then that's a pretty good indication that uh, they're going to move forward. Plus, you've got your contract you, know, you signed at that point. So uh, but make sure you know who you're working for. Now, that's not saying that for every film you do, even the legitimate film groups, there may be problems. There's, there's, there may be encounters on set that, you know, you witness between the money people and the director, the money people and the, you know, whomever, uh, the suits, as they call them. 
you have to cocoon yourself as far as an actor and not allow that to affect your performance. You're there to do your job, okay? And the one thing that you always do is you show up, you show up, you show up, you know your lines, you know your character because you become that character. You, you when that director yells action, you become that character and you are living that experience that the character is living, whether you're experiencing rage or anger or, you know, uh, having a complete breakdown like uh, I did in Circus, you know, my character did. Uh, that's real. The tears are real. The anger is real. And anything else is, is cheating. Uh, so in order to do that, you have to really cocoon yourself from anything and everything with the exception of the director's voice when you're rolling that camera. A director may, yeah, he may give you, he generally will. A good director will give you adjustments. The director being your lifeline, you're in the scene. Uh, he's watching via a monitor, he or she. And uh, oftentimes, you know, your choices that you make for the character here and there may not be necessarily what he or she wants as a director. So he may yell cut and then he'll give you an adjustment. The adjustment being reel this in or bring this out or hold that a beat longer. It could be any number of things. And as an actor, you implement that on set at that point, right then on there for that next take. And uh, if you show up prepared in that regard or in all those ways, do your job and then get the heck out of the way and let everybody else do their job, then film groups, directors, and so on appreciate that, and they they will have you back. Don't go on a set and, and create drama that's yeah. not part of the script. Don't do that. It's not a good thing. I totally concur. I'm the same way. If they don't have a contract in NDA form, if they can't show you a storyboard or a shot list, don't bother with them. Just... That's it. You know, and those are really simple ways to. It's so simple, but it saves you so much time. You, you yeah, are so easy to weed out the, you know, scummy guys from the. We'll return after these messages. Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, for instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. J no, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous. I don't even know where to. Anyways, uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say, breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips. 
great breakfast wrecks and booty debates, most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always, am I the winner? Yeah, <laughs> not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S. We are in the U.K. We are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. So you went to Texas State Technical uh, University. Uh, do you think that influenced a lot of your overlooking? Yeah, I actually chose to go there because at that time, you know, within the Waco, Texas area, that was the closest thing that I could find to – you know, a film school. It wasn't a film school, but they offered what was media communications and information, which it was a kind of an all-encompassing program that uh, offered television production, both from a technical perspective as well as on-air talent. Uh, They offered photography, videography, editing, you know, utilizing you know, Final Cut Pro, and, and so you, it was like, for me, finding a program nearby at that time that I could physically drive to and from that would uh, come close to teaching what it was I really wanted to learn and then implement, okay? Uh, had some great, great professors there at that time, uh, Jerry Shaw, uh, Mr. Newman, you know, and literally, uh, I can truly say that going to TSTC, it was a major plus in in helping me understand better, especially all the technical aspects of filmmaking, you know? Right. I was able to understand audio, audio editing, Video, video editing. Uh, obviously, uh, we took class. You know, they had one class, and they had there an entire television production studio on campus, utilizing what was a three-camera process, which is used for newscast as well, a right? sitcom production, you know, productions. But it was, you know, 
it was for me an opportunity to actually, that was the closest I could get to, again, film school. I, I didn't live in LA at the time. So as a result, hey, you know, I found the program that would substitute, you know, UCLA. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it truly, truly did. And there were a lot of other people like me at that time going through that program who had the same aspirations. Okay. Okay. And we've got, we've got a, a tornado on the ground. <laughs> Shit. The sirens are going off, and I've just got the alert through my phone. Uh, I guess we can just wrap up. Uh, anything you want to plug real fast? Uh, I am so sorry, man. Uh, Cameron, man, I, I just appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, check out the forthcoming uh, film Fun. Check out Dark Ritual, Circus of the Dead. Check out as well, uh, gosh, the films. Uh, that were, I'm about to do a film called Headshot. Uh, directed by Billy Pollan, as well, one called Embankment, which is based on a true story, which I actually play a guy who flips his car in the late 70s and ends up with a tree branch through his chest, uh, and he's pinned in his car for two days. It's a survival-type epic. <laughs> nice. Okay. And, uh, of course, I, th I don't know if I said Cowboys from Hell. Again, really looking forward to that one. And uh, also... Each year, next year in March, check out the cult, the cult classic convention. Um, I'm, I'm a part of that show. I did the Q and A's. I love the show. Roy and Lisa Rose actually uh, launched the show uh, after buying and renovating the gas station in Bastrop, Texas, where some of the key scenes to the ultimate Texas classic, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was filmed. And, uh, yeah, so I'm always there. Come see me there, and I apologize for the tornado. <laughs> oh, all good. Let, let's uh, hope it goes around my house. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Uh, I'll get this interview up uh, pronto as soon as I can. Okay, and if you, if, you, if you want to follow up at any point, I'm more than happy to do so, man. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty busy, but if I can, I will. But if not, you know, I'll... Uh, yeah, there's plenty of substance in this interview. <laughs> I know uh, there's so much uh, more we could talk about. And uh, uh, I heard the siren going off and my phone went off and I'm thinking, well, hell, all right. <laughs> all good. Uh, if there's any other indie films to talk about, you know, we can even talk about zombies and hammer horror and all that. Well, we'll, we'll get there. But yeah, um, in the meantime, you know, it, okay. The siren's going off. I'm not, I'm looking at my window. I'm not seeing my tree blow over yet, so let's just keep going. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a trooper. I committed, so let's do it. What do you want oh, to talk about? We'll go for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, just remaining tips that you got for uh, anyone uh, who's okay, got a budget, got uh, their hearts set on making their own movies. Uh, how do you okay. keep going? If you, if you have, again, the passion, and you, you must, because I've had a lot of people you know, ask of me, you know, how do I get into film, and uh, or they want to visit with me or come, come be on set you know, while I'm shooting a film. A lot of those people think that making a film is all fun and games. It's hard work. 
it's a 14 hour day sometimes, you know, it's several 14 hour days in a row. Sometimes you're working in 20 degree weather. Sometimes you're working in 110 degree weather. You must love it. It has to be that passion that comes from a calling. Okay. Uh, much like many people are born with a calling to be a, a lawyer, a doctor, a reverend minister, you, you have to be born with a calling and uh, you have to be well aware that it's not glitz. It's not glamor. It's about hard work when you're making a movie. If indeed you love it, you won't mind doing that. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to, if you're putting together your own film project, you have to believe in yourself and your project so much that you're willing to go out and talk to investors. Always be honest. It's an independent film market. And we all know that independent films, films in general, you know, there's no guarantees. Okay. But you set out to make the best movie you can, no matter your budget. Always write your screenplays with your budget in mind. If you, if you know that you're only going to have, say, I don't know, uh, if you think you can make your film on $75,000, then then write your screenplay with that in mind. Mm -hmm. Set it in one location. Set it. Night of the Living at, Dead, in, never let anyone not, down. <laughs> Halloween, Halloween, 1978. Yeah. One location, 124-hour one period. That way you cut down on wardrobe changes. You don't have to you know, shift your crew from one location to another to another. Uh, keep your story simple. I, but I've always said the best and, and most profound horror film experiences I've had watching great horror classics have come from storylines that are just simple. Simple storylines, okay? Tap into the primal fears. The thing under the bed, the darkness, the girl who's alone babysitting, getting the phone calls from the psycho. You know, these are the things that never cease to scare people. And if you're making a horror film, that's what you want to do. Okay. And bear in mind, too, that, you know, if you write into your screenplay a lot of really major effects, it looks good on paper. And it would look even better on, on the screen, but it costs money, all right, to achieve those really good special effects. Uh, meaning you've got to be able to afford a legitimate effects artist to come on and create those effects. Otherwise, the, the effects that you may end up with are, are cheesy if you don't have a, a, a professional effects artist, okay? So... Keep your budget in mind when you write the screenplay. Keep in mind as well that, you know, you are, by the time you're in production, you're generally, you're operating and you're able to make your movie based on investor dollars. People have put their money behind your project because they believe in you. So you then owe them your sweat, your blood, you work your ass off so that you churn out the best product you can, the best product you can for the people that put the money behind you. That, that's, that's what I would say to anybody who's actually going to write, you know, produce, and direct their own feature.
Stellar. Well, this has been a delight uh, catching up with you and getting some good advice. Uh, will you be on any crowdfunding sites or even Kickstarters in the future? You know, generally, I, I, I don't do that. Now, I know that there's a couple of films out there that uh, I'm attached to that they are the groups are going the route of utilizing you know the uh what indiegogo well whatever you know the crowdfunding uh you know route i generally by the time i come on a project because for the most part i'm the actor that that budget's already been amassed of those films that i will actually produce and get or executive produce and, and such that money is coming from other film group or other investors who professionally do invest in film. Okay. Right. Uh, I think crowdfunding is a wonderful, wonderful way for, you know, especially beginning filmmakers to actually amass budgets to go out and uh, turn their dreams into reality. And that is what it's all about, you know? It takes money to make a film, and if your dream and your goal is to make a film, get the money, you know, but use it, use it wisely because it takes, it takes more than what you can imagine if you've never done a film. Going into production, you think, okay, I've got, hey, I've got 75000 or 50000 or 100000 You think, hey, i got more than enough to make this movie, and money when making a film goes quickly. You're paying for a lot of things, okay? And you also have to remember you have to post the film out. You do the editing, you gotta do the scoring. You've got to, you know, go out and market that film to get a, distrib a distributor. So all that takes money. So I say to people, you know, when you get your budget, divvy it up, X number of dollars for effects whatever you need emergency just had right. a cameraman Anything. get injured right exactly and make sure you got insurance that's that's a big big deal to you you know i never do a film that's not insured uh for yeah let's face it yeah we do films that do require action sequences where you know luckily it hasn't happened to me but you, you never know people can get hurt and uh so you want to make sure that you, the production you're about to enter into is insured. And, uh, and then you want to, I can't emphasize enough, set aside money for marketing. Once your film is done and you've gone through post-production, you've got to be able to, based on the current dynamics of the film industry, you've got to be able to actually go out and market that film by getting it into festivals, getting it into events, screen films, which requires you to do what? You, know, you have to book flights or you may have to drive, you know, quite a distance to actually be with the film. Some festivals require, you know, money to even consider screening your film. So you want to, you want to, no matter your budget, you want to keep that in mind. You want to save back a, a marketing budget. Very nice. So this has been very enlightening. And again, for exactly the inspiration that we're going for. Uh, and so again, some big, big tips from, again, insurance to 
seeing how much you want to do it to screenwriting. Thank you ever exactly. so much for this. Again, just quick reminder on how you're doing it. Every kind of person can do it. And we've already gone through the whole just do's and don'ts, making sure everyone's ready. Right, right. And, uh, and always remember with your actors, you know, and, and, and I don't say this with, you know, I don't say this to be, and it may come off as being, you know, unkind. I don't mean it that way. When it comes to your key principal characters, audition, find actors and actresses that have the experience and the training. Pay them. It's worth your while, for God's sakes, you know, because I've always said we see films with bad acting. It doesn't matter how good the story is. If the acting is bad, it goes downhill, right? So this idea that you're going to get free actors or actors that, you know, will fill your principal lead roles for credit only, they will, but you, you may end up getting what you don't pay for, <laughs> okay? Oh, totally. I've had, and I've had other pals too who had to reshoot something, even though they had a budget and, uh, again, again, a good screenplay and they did all the NDA forms. And I said, okay, so make good on it. If they build yeah. and you were already paying them, then they're in yeah. the wrong. So treat it no different than if you're being sued by someone over some bullshit, you know? And it's Correct. just amazing Correct. how so many would not follow up on it. And, I never failed. If someone flaked on my project, I always told everyone, it's like, yeah, that guy's a piece of shit. He's got a big head and he never shows up on time and never knows his lines. So fuck him. You're, yeah. you're people that are serious about it, <laughs> that, that truly take it, you know, seriously because they have a passion for it and they devoted their, their lives to it. They will be the ones that will show up without the ego, without any bullshit, you know, will be there each and every day but, will, and you show up and you're prepared and you do your job because you love it and this is what you do i found that the people that show up with you know i, I guess you'd say the diva type, type attitudes male or female they're generally ironically the people that haven't done much <laughs> you, you know what i mean and uh yeah that's the other thing too is just like if you're going to hire someone, make sure they got more than just a look. And honestly, the filmmakers who don't get anything done are the ones who just don't have any imagination to begin with. They, they just Correct. take the script too seriously. And I can't tell you how many projects I build on just because I was like, you're not taking any of my advice. What's the point of me being your PA when you're asking me all these things and you're not taking, you know, using anyone's advice, anyone's yeah. advice. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned earlier storyboarding, which, you know, <sighs> Or can't draw, then get someone else who can. Yeah, or exactly. just use stick figures. It's okay. You know, stick figures are great. You know, just that way you know that the director's communicating with the DP what he wants, how he wants a scene shot. All these things are part of the filmmaking process. I've always said it takes a village to raise a kid. It takes a village to make a movie. <laughs> you know, and I mean everybody working in unison. Okay, it takes the, the actors working their asses off with the director, the director working with everybody on set, the DP, the sound guy or gal, the lighting department, wardrobe, you name it. Everybody has to work and work hand in hand with the shared common goal. 
the unified common goal of let's make the best movie we can with the money that we have to work with, you know. And the worst thing you can do is think that, well, it's an indie film. That Don't think that that's some type of excuse to make a bad movie, <laughs> okay? Yeah. So, or that not enough money in the world can solve it. It's like you said, you know, I, I look at it like I would if I was on eBay. Okay, I've set this price. I'm going to bid this high amount. That's how far I'm willing to go on this. Bingo. And, and the truth of the matter is, you look back in film history, as, you know, I'm a big fan of the 1970s drive-in, drive-in films. And I was friends with David Hess, who was, you know, nice. the last house on the left. Nice. Last house on the left. And, you know, listen, I, I'm so thankful that through doing the film work at the conventions and such, I, I, I've gotten to meet and know so many great people that I grew up watching. And I learned so much from them as well. But the one thing I can tell you, that they've all shared with me, people from these classics. And it's still, I've seen it today on film sets, the films I've done. When you are not operating with a Paramount Studios budget, when you're, when you're operating on a minuscule budget, then that requires you to be creative. How am I going to create this effect when I only have 200 bucks to do so, for example, or less? Oh, yeah. I think then lighting you, is very underappreciated. Everyone's then, like, I got to show him getting shot. Or you can cut away and, you know, simulate what you yeah. think the light from a gun blast would be. Exactly. And, and show and, the shocked look on the guy's face. And there's so much, so many wonderful, magical things that can come from just a bunch of creative people brainstorming, how are we going to do this? Out of that, something really magical can be created for a lot less than what you imagine. Okay, and uh, so that 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 that's really a cool thing, in my opinion, about independent filmmaking is the opportunities that it allows artists to be creative, to uh, well, to sit down and say this isn't working. So, how can we go about? creating the same impact, the same illusion, without taking the route that maybe didn't work. You'll come up with something alternative, some alternative, okay? Something different that works. And David has told me that they did this many times on Last House. Marilyn Burns, the late Marilyn Burns, who was the mm-hmm. dearest friend of mine that probably I've had in the industry, except for Jovan. She told me so many things about Chainsaw and the production uh, so many things that, you know, you, you, it's kind of, you know, common that it's a lot of people realize they faced a lot of adversity when they were doing Chainsaw, but there's even more things that happen that you, it boggles the mind. But they didn't let it slow them down. They came up with alternative ways to actually achieve certain things in that film made in 1974. Well, actually, it was shot in 73, released in 74. uh, Waited on it. (laughs) And bottom line, what they actually created now has become, and it still lives as, a worldwide cult classic, okay? That new generations, every few years discover okay the original chainsaw and so that's a testament 
that film, Last House on the Left, so many others are a testament to what can be created a little money when you've got creative people who are committed to making the best movie they can, no matter the budget. So that's, yeah. Well, thank you ever so much for being on here. This was you betcha. Great you betcha. Here. And I, I'm sorry for the uh, tornadic. <laughs> All good. Can't control it. And I'm the same way. I got to sometimes there's plenty of sets where I've been on where I am checking on the weather. <laughs> it's my job. Is it raining the next few days? Okay, then we can shoot if, if it's not raining. <laughs> Bingo. And, you know, that's the last thing I'll say, man. You know, a commitment is a commitment. And uh, as simple as, you know, I committed to being on the show with you. I, I wanted to finish the show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, time and, management uh, is everything. <laughs> so I'm watching out the window. I don't see the tornado coming down my street yet. And all, all is safe and all is well. Now, after we conclude, I'll go and I'll, I'll check out the radar and see if I need to crawl into my basement. <laughs> but that's the thing, people. When you make a film, no matter what you're doing on that film set, it's a commitment. Protect yourself, be safe, but know that it's your job not to let the film or the film company, the production team, don't, don't let them down. Do your job. That's it. Absolutely. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up